all rise for the reading of the Word of God. We'll be reading from Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. On the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer, there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree has yield, have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. You may be seated. Uh, we are in the book of Haggai, and if you do have a pew Bible, it is page 791. Um, it is an Old Testament book. We've been going through this book in the month of June. And just as you read the passage, you were probably a little bit like me, like, what is going on? Uh, it's not just stuff that we think about today, talking about meat and garments and things becoming holy. It's a little bit outside of our wheelhouse, if you will. Uh, it seems a little far removed. What are they talking about? And we're going to look into that today, and we're going to have to put on some cultural goggles as we do, and we're going to have to step in the shoes of, of Jewish uh, Judaism to understand and, and apply the truths that are in this book and draw out the principles therein so we can see what God has for us in here and now. But as we are in this series, it's entitled, Consider Your Ways. And the purpose of the book is to help us think and consider about the direction of our lives. Are we going to choose my way? As Frank Sinatra so eloquently sang about, I did it my way, right? Did you know, by the way, that's one of the most popular songs played at funerals? Did you know that? Another one, ACDC, Highway to Hell. These are actually songs that people have at their, their funerals. You would think it would be a little bit more reverent. And I've been at funerals where some songs like this. And I think many of us, if we were to really be honest, this is how we live our lives. We live according to my rules, my way, how I want it to go. But God is calling us to something different. He's calling us to His way. And He's calling us to choose Him because He loves us and He has set His love upon us. He gives us a degree of freedom where we can go our own way. You know, when I was a kid, I remember seeing this poster that my mom, or this, uh, she put on the refrigerator. I was a kindergartner. And I remember reading it and I didn't quite get it until one day I found a little stray animal like little kids do. And, I, and I, my mom kept telling me, you got to let it go. See, the thing on the, the refrigerator said, if you love something, set it free. You know the phrase? If it comes back to you, it is yours. And if it's not, 
It was never meant to be. Which really broke a six-year-old's heart when they find a little rabbit. <laughs> you know, because then I realized the rabbit didn't love me. <laughs> rabbit ran away. See, God, go, he lets us go our own way in freedom. But he loves us so much that he calls us back to himself. Because he wants to have a relationship with us. It grieves him when we choose something less than himself. And they don't choose the very, when we don't choose the very best that he has for us. And he invites us to consider our ways. Because God is going to arrange circumstances in such a way to call us to a relationship with him. He wants us to come back in repentance and faith and order our lives accordingly. And he will arrange it, and, and, and not just arrange it, but he has sovereignly placed it that we can't have true happiness apart from him. It's one of the laws that he has set forth, just like the law of gravity. God has placed that law in, in, in the world that we can't change it. And there are certain laws that he has placed in the world spiritually that when we try to violate it, we're going to suffer the consequences of it. And, and these are unchangeable, fixed laws. And God calls us to himself and he says, return to me. Seven times throughout the Old Testament, there are, those three words are mentioned. Return to me. Return to me. We see it throughout many of the different Old Testament books. God says, return to me and I will return to you. Consider your ways. Think about your situation. It's not going to get any better if you're continuing to live apart from me. I love you so much. I want you to come to me. And return to me and I will return to you. And you will experience the blessedness of my presence. So Haggai is calling us to consider our ways. And today we're going to see how we can return to him and what it requires of us to return to him and experience the blessing that he has for us. But before we go any further, let's pause and ask God's blessing on our message time together. Father, we come into your presence knowing that you call us to return to you because that's where true blessedness is, in your presence, at your right hand. Lord, help us to think very clearly and succinctly about how our life is ordered. And Lord, let us not consider can continue to choose our way, but let us choose your way. And may we truly begin to understand what it means to have a relationship with you. Lord, speak to us today. Call us unto yourself, and may your spirit be preeminent, exposing the layers of unbelief and sin in our lives so that we might be transformed by your spirit and your grace as we seek your face. We pray your blessing on this time together today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned that we needed to put on our cultural goggles, and I need you to stay with me in the text as we're going to walk through this piece by piece, because we need to get a little bit of an understanding of Jewish law. Let's begin in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius. Now, we've already set the stage before, but just a, a quick backtrack. Remember, it's, Haggai is speaking to the nation of Israel during what's called the post-exilic time. The Israelites had been in exile because of their disobedience. God had, in essence, kicked them off the land for a period of time, put them in a, basically a big giant timeout. Okay? He put them in a, in a 70-year timeout until they came to the rea- realization that they were in rebellion to him. They repented, and God brings them back. And the king at the time sends them back to the land to rebuild the Jewish temple. Because if you remember, they had been living on the land. The center of their identity was the Jewish temple, but they thought they were untouchable. And God keeps telling him, you can't just go through the motions. I want your heart. And they didn't do it. 
So they kept going through the motions. God kept sending them prophets. They didn't listen. So finally God sends the king Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to the city. He destroys the walls and levels the temple. And then they take, um, King Nebuchadnezzar takes the people and takes them over to Babylon. Babylonians are conquered by the Medo-Persians. And then seven years later, they're sent back to the land to rebuild the temple because they had realized that God wanted the heart, not just going through the motions. So they come back to the land, and then they start building the temple. But they started it. They laid the foundation. There was a party, and then the work stopped. For 16 years, it stopped. So the project started getting overgrown. Grass was growing everywhere. You've seen that, where, where people start a project and it doesn't get finished and it just sits there. And that's what had happened. The grass is coming overgrown. The stones are, start, stones are starting to fall over. And, but the people, they're living in the lap of luxury. They're enjoying being returned to the land. They're building their houses. They're just knocking out new wings. It's all great, grand, and fantastic. But God, goes, God stops and goes, wait a minute. Consider your ways. And so the people start to realize, wait a minute, we, we think it's going well, but actually it's not. We, we keep trying to build it on, and it should look really well, but it's not. The more that we put into it, the more that we're suffering. The more we're eating, the more we're hungry. The more that we drink, the more that we're thirsty. The more that we try to save money, it keeps falling through our, we keep losing it. What's going on? And God says, because I'm against you. Because you have exalted yourself over me, I'm against you. And he says, consider your ways and return to me. So Haggai now is writing, this is three months after the rebuilding project had begun, because the people had heard Haggai's initial sermon, they had responded to it and started to rebuild. Now three months later, he speaks to the people, and he says this, or the word of the Lord comes by Haggai the prophet, thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. Now, why is he saying that? He's telling, the priests were some of the, the religious leaders of the time, and they, they had so many different Jewish laws about 600 different Jewish laws, according to a little over 600. And then they would have all of these questions come up. And we have that today. Do I watch this show? What if it's got that? Or do I go to this place? What if they're doing that? And they're wondering that about the Jewish law. They wanted to honor God, so they would ask them questions about different situations in which they found themselves. And he says, ask the priest about this situation. I want you to think about it. And he says, ask the priest about the law. And he goes to verse 12. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean or contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Now, what he's talking about there, and in the Old Testament, he had two concepts. There was the concept of being clean or holy or defiled or unclean. And everybody filled, um, found their way in one of these different two camps. You were either clean or unclean. You were either holy or you weren't. And what he's saying there, and he's speaking to us in our day and time, is that we need to revisit the biblical concept of holiness. Revisiting the biblical concept of holiness. That's number one in your notes. He's talking about holiness. Now, what's going on there, and you have to, we have to, to understand, is that they're basically talking about what's called third-degree holiness. Now, what he's saying there, he talks about holy meat. And he says, if this holy meat touches something. Now, the way that Judaism worked in the Old Testament is that they would prepare uh, the holy meat, which meant that it was meat set apart for sacrifice. 
Now, this was holy, consecrated to God. That's what it means to be holy. And it's even more than that. It's the idea of being pure, not just sinless, but morally pure, distinct, different. The word holy literally means to cut. Now, it's like you're cutting a carrot in your kitchen. And what do you do after you slice the carrot? You slice it, and then you you move it over. You slice it, and then you move it over. That's the idea, is God is completely different and apart from us. And that's how we are to be as God's people. It doesn't just mean sinless. It means morally uh, upright. It means distinct, different. And it's not just about what we don't do. It also means of what we do do and that we are to be in a relationship with Almighty God where we experience the joy of that proximity and blessing. So he says we need to revisit this concept of holiness. Now, he asked the question, asked the priests about this. If they were to touch the something that was holy and distinct, do they become holy? Now, Jewish law dictated and said that if you touched it, that holiness like transferred to you. It's like tag, you're it. Okay? Now, like for instance, if they were throwing, they were taking a, they prepared a sacrifice and they threw it on the altar and it was a little bit bloody and the, and the blood hit me, my garments became holy. See, the holiness transferred there. And then they asked the question, what if something touches my shirt? Does that transfer again? He says, no, it doesn't. So it's this understanding that it was holy, but the first degree of holiness was the sacrifice itself. Secondly, I could have a proximity to that, and I would get holy, but nothing else could get holy after that. And it was the understanding that holiness doesn't pass on. That's what's really going on there, is that we have to have ourselves personal contact with holiness, and we can't transfer that to other people. It means this. You can't go through the motions and do the proper rituals and ceremonies and be holy. It's not like it's a good luck charm or superstitious. You ever encountered someone who's superstitious? I, I was in sports. Athletes are the most superstitious people in the world. Okay? In the playoffs, most, most, some of the, the teams, what do they do? They grow the playoff? Beard. Right? I had one guy that never changed his socks. Ugh. It was disgusting. Or I had one of my, my, my guys I played on my team, he had to go around in the middle of, right before we'd go out of the locker room, he had to touch every guy in a certain way. Right? He had to smack him on the shoulder and smack this on the shoulder. And, and he, he just, it was like he was superstitious that if we didn't do the, the right routine, we, we, wouldn't be, we wouldn't win the game. Something would be off. And athletes are the most superstitious people there are. I mean, there's one player that he would always, he would, I mean, he, I think he just retired, but he would uh, cut his nails every time out. He had to do it every single time out. I mean, guys do the weirdest stuff. And, and basically it's saying that these guys are superstitious. They're thinking that if they can have close proximity, then it will spill off to them. I don't have to have the heart. I can just go through the motions. And God says no. So you can't have that type of holiness. So it's basically saying this, holiness is not contagious. See, holiness is about our consecration. Consecration, that's letter A in your notes. It's about being set apart. We need to be consecrated unto God. That's what consecrated means. It means set apart for Him. It's consecration. Now, but the Bible says that we have to be consecrated unto Him to be holy. Sometimes we think of holiness as optional. It's like when you buy a car. You buy a car, and you have all the different packages, right, that you can get. You can get the basic model, which has got the roll-down windows, no AC, just AM, FM radio. And then you go up a couple levels, and then, I mean, you get to the top level, and it's got the moon roof and the warmer seats. You know that? 
And many of us are like, you know what? I'll take the basic model of faith. Holiness is like the moonroof for many of us. And he says, no, no, no. Holiness is absolutely essential. It's not optional. It's essential. That's why he talks about this in Romans chapter 12. Paul talks about how we are all called to be holy. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to be living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to to God. It's the idea of being set apart as a requirement for interacting with God. The Bible talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Read this, or 14, excuse me. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you don't live a holy life, you won't be able to see the Lord. See, the idea uh, is that God wants us to be consecrated unto him. Now, many of us, the idea of holiness, the word holiness is polluted. When we hear the term holiness, we have all these really weird ideas of culottes and buns, and uh, we have these just weird pictures of some of these charismatic practices or holy rollers or people that sometimes are just plain weird. Holiness isn't about that. Holiness is the process by which we come to God acknowledging our dirtiness, but wanting to be clean. You know, but God has a problem. Our sin keeps us from God. We are not consecrated and we are not holy. And if we stay in our rebellion and stay in our dirtiness and want our dirtiness and not to be clean, God doesn't want to have a a part with us. It's like, for instance, when I work in the yard, I have a tendency to sweat badly. Anybody that's been around me knows that I sweat profusely. And uh, my wife hates that. But when I'm out in the yard and I'm working with the, uh, the, the, weed, the weed whacker, and you get grass all over you, right? And your face gets dirty, and then I'm out in the mud. I mean, I'm just all dirty. And I like to come in the house, and I love to try to kiss my wife at that moment in time. And there's this thing, sudden thing that happens to my wife. Right when I come to kiss her, she gets, it's like there's this invisible barrier. Like when you put two magnets of the same point together, and no matter how much you put it, it can't get close. It's like the closer I get to my wife, she does this. I can't, I can't get to her. Why? Because I'm not consecrated. I'm not clean. See, that's how God is with us. When we come to him holding on to our sin, we're not consecrated. And he, he backs away. See, that's when we're unrepentant. When we're repentant and willing to have him clean us, then he accepts us with wide open arms. But until then, he keeps us at bay. See, what they're talking about there in this passage for Haggai is the understanding of holiness is, is the understanding of consecration. And it really involves the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification, whereby we are made holy. Now, the moment that you trust and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are positionally holy in the sight of God. God, your state has changed. You are different completely different. You are positionally holy, so now when God sees you, he sees his son. But we are to grow in our holiness, which means that we are also to be progressively holy. This is the sanctification, being made holy. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, be holy for I am holy. We are to grow in our holiness through this process of sanctification. But see, we have this big problem of contamination. Contamination. Now I want you to look back at our passage. 
Verse 13. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Now what's going on here is this. If if something were to touch something that was holy, it initially became holy, but it didn't transfer on. But uncleanness transferred to everything. So if I touched a dead body, whatever I touched after that would become unclean. Now the principle is this. Holiness is not contagious, but sin is. Sin is. This is why Paul says bad company corrupts good morals in 1 Corinthians 15. The idea is this. If you keep hanging around sinful people and it starts to affect your behavior, I mean, inevitably it's going to affect your behavior in some way. Does it not? I mean, yes, we are to go and reach those who are far away from God just as Jesus did, but if their behavior starts affecting ours, we need to pull away. Just like a dolphin. A dolphin can swim under the, swims under the water, but what's it have to do? It has to come up for air. Just many of us have to distance ourselves for a moment, get away with God, and then come back into the world in order to engage the world. But we have to get away for a bit. And we do. We have this problem of contamination that, that permeates all that we do. See, many of us think that we, we can barter with God. I can, do a, I can have a deal with God. And if I can just pacify him for a little bit, keep him at bay. It's like that, that person who keeps asking you to do something and you don't want to do it, but you just say a little bit enough to keep him, keep him away from you. See, that's many of us do with God. We say, uh, I, can, if I, I can almost pay off God, but we can't. I mean, and many of us think that our good deeds are going to outweigh our bad deeds at the end of time. It doesn't work that way. Because we're never going to be good enough. Because we are unclean, and even the things that we do, it permeates to that. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. It even permeates to their work. Look, past, look at verse 13 again, where he says, Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, Yes, it does become unclean. And then look at verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now consider from this day onward. It's saying that this uncleanness passes on. Now, uh, Philip Yancey, he writes a little bit about this. He tries to give us a modern parallel so we can understand it. He says, Consider the modern parallel of a person who wishes to send a message to the President of the United States. Any citizen may write the President or send a telegram or an email message. But even if she traveled to Washington, D.C. and stood in line with the tourists at the White House, she would not expect to gain personal appointment with the President. Though she may speak to a secretary or with her senators, help perhaps arrange a meeting with a cabinet official, no ordinary citizen expects to be able to barge into the Oval Office and present a petition. Government runs by hierarchy, setting apart its highest officials according to strict protocol. Similarly, in the Old Testament, a ladder of hierarchy separated people from their God, and this one based not on prestige but cleanness or holiness. It is one thing to label animals unclean, and, and quite another to label people unclean. But Old Testament laws did not shrink from that step. For the generations to come, none of your descendants who had a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man had, who had any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or disformed. No man with a crippled foot or hand, or is hunchbacked or dwarfed, or who has any eye defect, or has any festering or running sores, or damaged genitalia. 
And some, those with damaged bodies or born out of wedlock, failed to qualify. No oddballs were allowed. Menstruating women, men who had recently had a nocturnal emission, women who had undergone childbirth, people with skin diseases or running sores, anyone who had touched a corpse, all these were declared ceremonially unclean. God lays it forth in the Old Testament. You could not approach God because he was too holy. If you had anything wrong with you whatsoever, you could not come and approach God. And God showed that to show how different that he was and how distinct And we think, though, that we can just pacify this holy God. We can't. It is impossible to pacify God in that regard. God shows us in his word how polluted and contaminated we are. Romans chapter 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth, may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what it's saying there is each one of us are contaminated in the sight of God, and all that we offer to him then is contaminated. Now what does that mean? It means that we are at our core disobedient. We're at our core disobedient to God. And God is calling us back to himself in repentance. But we have to remember something, that even when we come back, we're going to have consequences for our disobedience and for failing to uphold God as holy. Basically, what God is saying to us now is this, return to me and I will return to you. But if, if you don't return to me, you're going to suffer the consequences of it. It's just like trying to, you continually try to defy the, the law of gravity, you're eventually going to get really hurt. Just like yesterday, my daughter had her seventh birthday party at, at a gym, Turner's Gym. And I decided that I was 18 again. So I decided to do, I don't even know what it's called, when you run and you hit the board like Carrie Shrugdig and you flip over the thing. Yeah, I tried that. And I'm on ibuprofen right now. Now, I'm going to, and, and just as we, as, when you get older, you know that you're going to suffer the consequences of your aging. And if you try to do something stupid... It's going to hurt later, right? I mean, you, you're not young again. You keep thinking, I'm 18, I could do this. And you find out real quickly, things aren't working the way they used to work. And see, we're going to suffer the consequences of that. The same is true that if we continually not honor God as holy, which means honoring him as first place in our lives, we're going to suffer the consequences for our disobedience. We're going to suffer the consequences. We have to recognize the consequences for our disobedience. Now, in the Old Testament, if you really want to get a picture of the holiness of God, you need, to, you need to look back and read some of the stories that are there and what happens to those who fail to uphold the Lord as holy. Moses, great Moses, failed to uphold the Lord as holy. God tells him when the Israelites are traveling in the wilderness to take his staff and speak to the rock, and he strikes it twice. And the water flows out. And God says, because you fail to uphold me as holy, is distinct, honoring me with your life and obey what I told you to do, you're no longer allowed to go into the promised land. And that was minor considered what happened to Nabab and Abihu. These were two priests who offer unauthorized fire. So they came to God, but not in the way that God prescribed. And what happened? 
Fire came out from the altar of God and killed them instantaneously because they didn't consider the holiness of God. We need to recover a picture of the holiness of God. Like in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, when Isaiah is ushered into the very throne room of God and he sees the seraphim, and with two wings they fly, with two wings that cover their eyes, and two wings cover their feet, and they continually circle the throne of God saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. We need to honor God as holy. We need to recognize what happens if we fail to do that with our lives and we try to pacify God. We need to make sure that we are living holy lives. Now Haggai, he's giving us a picture. And he says that we're going to suffer consequences because of our faithlessness. The reason we don't uphold God as holy is because we don't have faith. We are faithless. Now faith... Faith means trusting in God, believing in Him, holding on to Him. See, faith is what connects us to God. It is an act whereby we believe something. Now, many of us, have you, have you ever, anybody here ever gone skiing on a lake? Come on, anybody been skiing, water skiing? Anybody been water skiing? Okay, now water skiing is a lot of fun. Um, and water skiing is a lot like faith. See, God, we, we think that we are pulling ourselves to God. Reality is, is God extends a line to us, and we hold on to him as he takes us someplace. See, faith is transformative. It's always moving. Our job is to hold on and cling to him and let him take us where he wants to be. Now, we're going to experience some zigs and zags. We're going to experience some bumps, and sometimes we might let go, but God is always ready to make a U-turn and pick us up and allow us to get back on the skis and follow him again. So we need to make sure that we are being trans, we are holding on in faith and not being faithless. Look, in, look at verse 15 and let's see where faithlessness leads. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were about 10. When one came to the vine vat, wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were about 20. I struck... I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not return to me or turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day for onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, which is December 18th, 520 B.C., since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temper was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing from this day on, I will bless you. See, he's saying because of their lack of faith, they encountered futility. Their futility. He's saying there, because they failed to honor God and uphold him as holy, they kept experiencing futility in their life. Have you wondered why you're experiencing such a difficult time right now? Have you asked yourself that? Is it because that you have failed to give God first place in your life and God is asking you and con- telling you to consider your ways it's going to, you're going to continue to, if you continue to disobey God, you're going to experience futility. See, they would go to get wine, and there wasn't as much left. They would go to the different places. They'd go into the refrigerator, and they thought, I just thought we bought groceries. Why is it only half full? I thought you cooked dinner, and it was, it, it's one of those burgers you thought was really big, and yet it's really small. What's going on? It's because God is against you. And God is saying that you're going to experience futility because of your faithlessness. God is asking us to consider our ways. 
And sometimes when he does that, I mean, he will inevitably let us go our way, and we're going to experience pain as we do so. It's like with the prodigal son. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, he wants to leave his father, and he he goes off and he pursues this different life apart apart from his dad. He wants nothing to do with him. And what does he experience? Pain. At first, it's joy, it's fun, but those consequences of sin inevitably lead to pain and frustration and hurt. And we know that sometimes God has let us go away where it was really painful. Has God ever let you go your own way and, and, and it taught you a huge lesson? You ever, has He just let you go your way, said you can do your sin, and, and, and you find later that it's very painful, but it's also fruitful because you know not to do that again? See, those ways can be very painful. But they can be fruitful if we learn from those lessons. See, I know that there are some of you here that are struggling because of the choices that you have made in your past. And you think, I don't have that much time left, or I I wish I could go back and change it. Let me tell you right now, you can't change it. You can't change what's past. But you can change the future. God gives you now, this time, to make a difference, to leave a legacy. Let those past lessons serve as future guidance, that you don't repeat the same mistakes that you made before. It's like, remember the movie The Lion King? Remember the the monkey? What's his name? Rafiki? Is that his name? And he's got that pole, and he slaps Simba in the head, and he's like, what'd you do that for? And then he goes and swings again, and he ducks, and he goes, you learned. See, many of us need to learn those lessons of pain. We've gone our own way. We've experienced the pain of it. And God is saying, don't, you can't change the past, but you can learn from it. Let it be fruitful for the future. That you can learn from your mistakes. That's what God's saying is, that's what's past. Now, from this day forward, I will bless you. And that means, though, that we need to return to Christ in obedience. Return to Christ in obedience. That's what we need to do. God delights in us coming to Him. I I was talking with someone the other day who has been up and down in their relationship with Christ. They're either really hot or they're really cold. And when they're really cold, they go completely disobedient. And during a time of disobedient, one of these these individuals did something that he's going to have consequences for the rest of his life. And he's really struggling with that. And now he doesn't want to go back to church because he knows that he has these consequences that he's having to deal with. And he's afraid people are going to judge him. And I said, the difference between you and most people is that you have consequences, whereas many of us didn't have those consequences that everyone can see. But don't let that keep you from now. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. Each one of us have. And don't let your past disobedience keep you from your present blessing that God has for us when we turn to him. See, we need to make sure of that. Because, see, God delights when one sinner repents. As we see in Luke chapter 15, just so I tell you, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God delights when we are repentant and we come to him in repentance and faith. We need to be returning to him in obedience. Remember the Motel 6 commercial? We'll leave the light on for you. See, God leaves the light of forgiveness on for each one of us. That we come to him and he'll accept us and receive us. Now, this return involves a few different things. First of all, it involves evaluating our lives. Look at verse 
15. Now then, consider from this day forward. The word consider means literally think. And he says it twice more in verse 18. He's saying, I want you to think about, think about and evaluate your life. Why are you doing what you're doing? This past week, I saw this special, special on the Winchester Mystery House. Has anyone ever heard of the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California? Okay, this house was built by Sarah Winchester in 1884. She was the heiress of the gun magnate who invented the Winchester rifle and, and had so much money. She was extremely superstitious. And she had seen kind of like a, a medium woman who had predicted her future and said that she would die unless she built, she had started building in this house, that she would die the moment that she stopped building this house. She was extremely superstitious and took it very literally. So she has this house continue to be built on for 38 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, this house is built on. To the point where they're, and it's estimated that they built 500 to 600 rooms to this house. And continually it was rebuilt over and over again. The problem is, is there's no rhyme to reason to this house. There's staircases that lead to the ceiling. I mean, straight to the ceiling. There are doors that open to a flat brick wall. There are bathrooms that don't work. There are chimneys that don't go all the way up. I mean, there's nothing about the house that goes together. And, and, and she just was so convinced that if this house were to stop being built, she would die. I mean, she, she had this thing for the number 13. She had stained glass windows constructed in spider webs all over the place. I mean, she was one weird, whacked-out lady with a lot of money. All right? But see, many of us are a little bit like her. We're kind of superstitious, and we, we're, we don't really trust the Bible. We have all these other things that we hold that way heavier than the Word of God does, and they really mean nothing. And we're constructing and ordering our life with no rhyme or reason to it. And we're building things in our lives and doing things in our life that have a dead end, that have no meaning whatsoever. And God says, no, consider your ways. What are you building? Are you building to nothing? Or do you have a point in order to your life in a way that is, is honoring to me? Are you going to choose my way or God's, God's way? Are you going to choose your own personal way or are you going to choose what God has for you? I mean, this is a door that leads to, leads to nowhere. And she had one door. Sarah Winchester had one door in her room that if you opened it, it had a 15-foot drop outside. That's how nut. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> you know. And see, the, the road, my way, leads to death. This is the road. This is the door that leads to God's blessing. So we must make sure that we are evaluating our um, evaluating our lives. Evaluating our lives. And then it also means that we are to be embracing God's ways. Embracing God's ways. Look at verse 18. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the temple was laid. Consider. And he's saying there that you have laid this, now you have obeyed. In other words, you have embraced my way. Have you embraced God's way, what God wants you to do? We have to do what He wants us to do, not what we want to do. We have to embrace God's will for all of us. What is, and what is that? What does it mean to embrace God's way? It means fulfilling the purpose 
for what he has for us. It's not what we don't do. It's what we now get to do, and it's accomplishing what God wants us to do. I'm reminded of the, the movie Simon Birch. Anyone ever seen that little movie about Simon Birch? He's a little boy who suffers from dwarfism, and he always is walking around, and he believes that God has a purpose for his life and that it's to be a hero. And everybody laughs at him. He's always the butt of jokes. And then one day he's on a bus. Uh, he goes to a Catholic school, and he's on the bus with all of his friends. And, and uh, there's the, the, the Monsignor, the father, is on the bus, and there's the bus driver. When a deer comes out and the, the bus driver turns and it goes off, a, careens off a hill, and it goes just hurtling down into the water, and it, uh, the bus hits the water and starts to go all the way in and sink, and the, the father hits his head, and he's knocked unconscious, and the bus driver is, is just kind of woozy, and he, instead of helping all the children get off the bus, he just gets himself off and tries to save himself, and all the kids and the children are panicking, and Simon Birch realizes this is his moment, so he stands up, and he starts barking out orders to all the kids to get him out safely, and one by one, all the kids go to safety, and as he realizes that everybody is there except one kid, he goes back to save that one child and his best friend Joe and his Joe gets out and then, but, but Simon can't get out and he ends up being trapped and it goes under and then he, he does float to the top and he's, he, he's alive and they take him to the hospital and then he says goodbye to his friends and dies. And it's the story, and he realized that God had made him for a purpose, and he wouldn't be happy until he fulfilled that purpose. God has made you for a purpose, and that is to help reach and save others. That's what God has made us for. And we are to fulfill that purpose that God has for our lives by offering ourselves in service. If you want to be like Jesus, that's what he did. He gave himself to help other people, and that means that we need to serve. Did you realize that? You can't become Christ-like unless you're serving. You want to grow in spiritual maturity and you be like Jesus? Then it means serving. As Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, many of us, though, are like, uh, and I read just the other day, and I shared this in a meeting we had yesterday. Many of us, it's like a football game. It's like a football game. You've got... All these people that are desperately in need of exercise in the state and the, in the sitting in the crowd, and and there's all these people that are in the middle that desperately need rest. And see, many of us, there's only a small group that's serving, and they're busting themselves, and they're they're going through it, and they need rest. While the rest of us are in desperate need of exercise, but we're really into the game, but we're not doing anything. See, God expects us to be serving. We want to be Christ-like, embracing God's ways. It means serving and doing and choosing his will above our own. We must be embracing God's ways. And look at lastly, verse 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But for this day on, I will bless you. God's saying, I will bless you because you are embracing my ways. We will be enjoying his blessing. Enjoying his blessing. Now, I like pizza, obviously, um, and, and one of the things that I, that I don't think about much with pizza is the dough. I like all the toppings. I like Chicago-style pizza. It's got a lot of cheese in it. I mean, just really thick, and the sauce that's on top, and how many of you are hungry? You're hungry already? But I don't like the dough. Matter of fact, I can just eat the pizza and, I, and, and just get rid of the dough, but the dough is extremely important to put the, hold the pizza together. 
Now, when they're preparing the dough, and we've all seen it, they take the dough and they mash it down and they rub it and then they spit it and they spread it apart and then they throw it down slap on the table and they, they move it around and they stretch it and they take the pin and they have to roll it down and then they have to do all of that stuff to it before it can receive the good stuff. See, God has to stretch us and he's got to work in us and he's got to move us to be able to receive the blessing that he has for us. He's got to do all of those things to get us ready to receive the good stuff in life. And it means that we have to learn to be obedient and evaluate our way, our lives and embrace his ways. And then we can enjoy his blessing because when we allow ourselves, we give ourselves over to him, he stretches us and he molds us and it's painful. But then we can receive and prepare to receive the blessing that he has for us. But it all begins with the first question that I had for you today. When God says, or the first statement, return to me. God says, return to me and I will return to you. God will give himself to us. He will bless us, but it begins with us all returning to him. Don't hold on to your sin. Ask God to say, God, use me. Let me do your will. Repent of your sin. Embrace him as Savior, and then continually give yourself over to him and say, Lord, do with me as you please, and he will do so for his glory and your joy. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you And we praise you for how you have been working in our lives and, Lord, in our church. And, Lord, though we're going through a difficult time financially, we know that you are faithful. Lord, even when we are faithless, you are faithful. But yet you will let us suffer the consequences for our disobedience at times. Lord, please help us to order and orchestrate our lives to be a reflection of our relationship with you. Lord, please help us to honor you as holy to realize that we, we do and have been disobedient in many things and it translates to so many different areas and we can't pacify you, but we must give you our lives and return to you so that you will return to us and we will experience the joy of your presence. Lord, I know that there are some that are really going through difficulties today. Some are going through relational problems in their marriage or, or with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Or Lord, I pray for those. I pray for those who are, are having a hard time with their children or a rebellious grandchild or something that's going on in their workplace or just with a close friend or maybe a, a poor health report, whatever it may be. Lord, may we all honor you in the life stage that we are in and may we sense your presence with us because we know that you care for us, you love us, and you call us unto yourself. So Lord, please help us to to glorify you, help us to return to you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, honor you as the Lord of our life, and then Lord, help us to prepare to experience the blessing that you have for us. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. A couple of concluding things. Uh, if you want to sign up for the Hellwigs or get a little one of their support cards, they're right back in the table in front of the sound booth. Uh, if you do want to go over to the dinner at Sugar Grove, I would encourage that. It's at 1230. Um, learn more about their ministry that's there. They had to duck off and get to another service uh, at Sugar Grove. So sorry that they wouldn't be able to interact with you. Also, there is the refugee picnic today at 4 o'clock. I would encourage you to come out, uh, take a step of faith, come out of your comfort zone, and be able to reach the nations. Uh, in the name of Christ. Let's stand for our benediction in closing. Our Lord and our God, who have called us to yourself, may we recognize the love that you have for us, and may we respond accordingly, knowing that you gave your Son to die on the cross for our sins. And Lord, so that in him we might have life and the blessing of having a relationship with you. Lord, please glorify yourself as we each go our separate ways. And all of God's people said, Amen. Go in peace.